we're going to continue our study in Exodus chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 18. And uh, please stand with me as we will read the whole chapter. Again, we love to honor God's Word. This is God's Word for His people. Exodus 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he sent her home, along with her two sons. They named the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been sojourned in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and my deliverer from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other and of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced all the good that the Lord had done in Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the name who delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians, and out of the hands of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God, and Aaron came with the elders to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Verse 15, And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and the other, and I make them known the statutes of God with his laws. Now Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and all the people with your certainty wear yourself out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way which they must walk and they must do. Moreover, look to able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you that they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and the people also will be uh, go in their place of peace. Verse 24, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people of the chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and they judged the people at all times. In any case, they brought to Moses, but every small matter they decided in themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
It gives sight to the blind. It heals those who are lame. It informs us on how to live. Not only the everyday mundane things of life, but how to structure even church. Here we see wisdom of thousands of years earlier given to us that points us on how we can be most effective, how we can follow in God's steps in organizing how we lead this church. Lord, you've designed this church to be led by the chief shepherds, and under the chief shepherds you have under-shepherds, a plurality of men that lead this body. Lord, thank you for using this story to speak to us some thousands of years later so that we may know how to, one, follow you, not get burned out, and as we leave here, that all the people will go in peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. When I say the words family reunion, what do you guys think about? Family reunion. How many love family reunions in here? Raise your hand. How many are like, oh man, family reunions? Raise your hand. Go ahead and be honest in here. Most of your family's probably not in here, so this is the place to be honest. I don't know, I love family reunions for the most part, right? Um, this past year, I got to go back to, to Pennsylvania, and we had kind of had like a mini family reunion on, on, on with my mom's side of the family. And uh, we just got together, and then on my mom's side of the family, she had uh, five siblings plus her and uh, four, four other sisters and a, uh, a young man, Uncle Tom, uh, the youngest of the sisters. And uh, while we were back there, Tom made some videos of the family reunions that we used to do in the 80s and 90s when I was a little shaver out at Treasure Lake. It was about a, a couple hours northeast of the Pittsburgh area. And it just brought back so many good memories just watching us uh, at this, uh, our, our lake house, or my grandparents' lake house there. So many good memories. Um, and one of the best memories was we used to do this thing called man versus boat. Man versus boat. And, um, you know, one of the uncles would take us little shavers out to the, to the, to the lake there, and they would put us out on the, on the, the raft, or whatever we call that, the tube, right? And, the, and, and it was just like, it was like the rodeo. It's like, who can stay on the longest, right? Man versus boat. And, um, of course, we know that boat always won, right? Man never won that. And I can just remember this, these times of some of these epic, epic wipeouts. Like, uh, one time I, I was going, and, 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 and Uncle was just flying, and then he hit, and he turned real quick, and he just flung me on this tube. And I guarantee you, I must have done, like, ten uh, what's the word? Ten cartwheels in a row on top of the water, right? I look like a human starfish just like tumbling over the water, right? And you just, you just, you just remember these great family reunions. And what was also really cool this past one is I'm the oldest grandson, the oldest cousin. I'll be 49 in December. And I got to take a picture with the youngest great grandchild or youngest cousin who was about one years old. And so right there, you just get to, you get to kind of pause and see the, the legacy that the Lord is, is doing in, in all of our families. And this morning, we're invited to, to watch Moses' family reunion. We see Moses has a family reunion with his wife and two kiddos and his father-in-law, Jethro. And there's a couple characteristics and principles that we can, we can apply to our own families out of this text. And, and not only our immediate families, like this holiday season, but also our extended family. There's two, there's two principles that we can extend to our church family here at the crossing. And these two characteristics revolve around witnessing to our family 
being a witness to our family, and also then listening or receiving wisdom from our family. Those are the two categories in which we're going to prove principles that are going to lead us this morning. So first, witnessing to our family. Witnessing to our family. Exodus 18, 1 through 12. We'll look at verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard that all that God had done for Moses and Israel and his people on how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. And here again, we're, we're reintroduced to Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. If you guys recall, we were introduced to him back in Exodus chapter 2, except there his name was Reuel. But here we can see his name is Jethro. So he had two, two names here. He's known as Jethro. And that's how he's known throughout most of Scripture as Moses' father-in-law. This is obviously Zipporah's dad. And what he has heard, not from Moses, but from others outside of Israel, his word has traveled how the Lord had delivered Moses and Israel out of the hands of Egypt. And all the incredible things that the Lord has done for him. That the Lord's name has spread beyond the boundaries of Egypt. It goes back to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, where this is where the Lord told Moses why he's doing what he's doing. And he told Moses, Moses said, the Lord told Moses, this is why I raised you up, Moses. The reason why I raised you up is so that my name may be proclaimed through the ends of the earth. And here we see that coming to fruition because Jethro, who was in Midian, which is basically northeast of Egypt by uh, several miles, obviously, um, heard of this deliverance. And then we see in Exodus 18, 2 through 5, we see the family coming back together. We see the, the family reunion with Moses and his family. Now, we're not sure it said that Zipporah wasn't with Moses. And I might say, well, where was she? And, and, and some commentators think that um, maybe Moses dropped him off as he was going to Egypt because what he was about to embark on was too dangerous. It was too dangerous to have his family there when he was confronting Pharaoh. Others say, well, no, that Moses, uh, Zipporah and the two Du Bois were with Moses in, in, in Egypt and, and they came through uh, the Exodus with them. And when they got close to grandfather, they got close to the in-laws, uh, you know, they took a little vacation and they went to go see Jethro. And so we're not really sure why um, Zipporah and the two kids were not with Moses, but they weren't. And here we see that they are reunited. And something really interesting, again, remember, Exodus is about deliverance. It's about redemption. So all these stories and even the names of the boys point us to that, point us to that main theme of redemption. And here we see the names of Moses' two sons. And what's interesting is it doesn't follow the normal way in which the children were named back then. Normally, back then, you would you would name your child uh, through a characteristic or, or something that happened at birth to them. So their name would, would be uh, representative of something about them, a quality about them. If you guys remember in Genesis with, with Jacob and Esau, right? Way back in Genesis chapter 5. Esau means what? Do you guys remember what Esau means? Harry and red, right? So when Esau came out, he looked like Elmo, right? And so, so they said, oh, there's Elmo, right? There's Esau. He's, he's red and he's hairy. And then immediately, his twins, Jacob was what? He was holding Esau's little ankle. And so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or one who trips up. And so that's how generally the boys' names. Here, it's a little different. The names don't describe the kids, the boys. The name describes what happened to Moses and Israel. Gershom means sojourner, foreigner. Eleazar means God is help. And they actually even add a little bit more to this, Moses does. And so when you think about it, 
these two names can be our two names. They describe us as Christians. They describe what's happening in the book of Exodus. We are all Gershoms. We are all sojourners in this land. We are aliens. Just a, a couple months ago, we were walking through 1 Peter, and it was all about how do we live as exile aliens in this land? That we are first and foremost citizens in, of the kingdom of heaven before we're citizens even of the United States. And isn't that a good reminder for us right now in the season that we find ourselves in? We just went through this tremendous, uh, turbulent, we'll say, election year, still kind of in it, right? And, and again, it's just a good reminder that to be reminded that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. We are Gershom. Second, we are Eleazar's. We have been delivered by the Lord. If you have here repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, as Chad kind of opened up, you, you have been delivered by the Lord. God has helped you. God has saved you. He has helped you in your most vital need, and that is in salvation. And so if now you have an Exodus story that you've been delivered by the power of Yahweh, you've been redeemed by Christ, and now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So again, everything in Exodus, all these stories are here for a purpose. Even the children's name of Moses to point us of God's power in the story of redemption in your life and even in my life. Now look at verse 7. I love this. I love this meeting between Moses and his father-in-law and his family. I mean, you can feel the love. You can feel how they care for one another. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Now, why did Moses go out to his father-in-law? I mean, Moses is the top dog in Israel, right? He had, he had stuff to do. No, what we see here is in this economy of their family, even though Moses is the top dog in Israel, he's, he's not the top dog in his own family. The top dog is Jethro. Jethro is the greater. He's the elder. So what we see Moses here is we see Moses respecting his father-in-law, honoring his father-in-law, uh, showing affection by kissing him, his humility by bowing down on his knee. It's a beautiful picture here. And it goes on, it says, and they asked each other the welfare and went into the tent. And then we see in verse 8, Moses told, or Moses recounted, he precisely proclaimed to Jethro, his father-in-law, all that the Lord did to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardships that had come in the way and how the Lord delivered him. I mean, just sit and pause and think about that, that meeting, those stories. Wouldn't you love to have been in that tent to listen to Moses tell his father Jethro all that just taken place? As you guys recall, remember in Exodus chapter 4, Moses had, after he just got done having that vision of God in the burning bush and the command to go. He goes back to Jethro and said, hey man, I gotta go back with my people and Jethro leaves him. And it was from that point on, Moses starts to retell the story to Jethro on all that the Lord had did. Every single little detail. We read that, it's just a couple sentence, a couple seconds. We just read it and it goes through. But this was like an all night affair. This conversation went deep into the night. Shared probably over many glasses of wine and some good lamb chops, right? This went deep into the night. And Moses told, precisely proclaimed what the Lord did in his life and in Israel's life. And so what we see here is Moses is witnessing to his father-in-law Jethro. Remember, Jethro is not uh, Israelite. He's not a Jew. He's a Midianite. He's, he's a, not only a Midianite, but he's a priest. He leads a different religion. It's tied to Abraham, but it's totally separate than the, uh, the Jewish religion, the Israel of worshiping Yahweh. They worship different gods. And Moses' uh, father-in-law Jethro 
is the one who leads them. He's the priest of Midian. And so Moses takes this opportunity to share about the one true God and about his power and salvation and delivering himself and the nation of Israel. It's an incredible, incredible story. In Exodus 18, 9 and 12, we see how Jethro responds to Moses' testimony. To how, to how he responds. His, his soul is impacted by Moses telling about the goodness and the grace of God found in the deliverance of Egypt, uh, of Israel. It's an incredible story. Again, Jethro again was a priest in another religion. Jethro would be akin to being a, a Muslim imam in our day and age. This is how radical this testimony is. This is an incredible testimony. This is a, a radical testimony. This is a man who was walking in darkness and then he was called by God's goodness to the light. And here we see four characteristics of saving faith from Jethro. Now some commentators debate whether or not Jethro really came to faith, but I, I think it's pretty clear. Let's look at these together. First we see in verse 9, upon after hearing Moses' story of proclaiming the goodness of God in redemption, what does Jethro do? He rejoices. And Jethro rejoiced for the good that the Lord had done. For all the good that the Lord had done. And this word for joy is not the normal word for joy. It's, a, it's an unusual word. It's, a, it's an unusual joy. It's a, it's a greater joy. He was like, man, this, he rejoiced in this great news. It's like, you know, it could be like those times in your life where you're a happy guy, but it's those moments that just bring the epic joy. You know, maybe if you graduated from high school, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great joy, or college. Or maybe you get married or have kids. It's those, those little instances where the joy is that much greater. This is what happened with Jethro. He heard the goodness of God in this deliverance and salvation, and his soul was overjoyed. Number two, he, Jethro blessed and praised the Lord. Look at verse 10. Blessed be the Lord who had delivered you. And then the next two really, really kind of bring it home. We see there's personal knowledge of the one true God. Look at verse 11. Now I know. There's a verbal de uh, a declaration to the mental assent to from Jethro about the Lord. Now I know what? That the Lord is greater than all gods. That the Lord is greater than all gods. He's almost saying like, I was blind and now I see. I understand now who Yahweh is. He is the one true God. He is the one and only God. I now know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And not only did he have a mental ascent, but again, we also see this. Now it's lived out into his life to worship. He worships. He responds with a public sacrifice. Verse 12. And, and Jethro brought a burnt offering. Now a burnt offering back then was you brought a burnt offering for the remission of sin to atone for your sins. And not only to atone for your sins, but also to appeal for forgiveness and acceptance before God. So we see here he worships. He acknowledges who Yahweh is. The one true God. He bends his knee and he, and he worships through a sacrifice. And then he calls Aaron and the other elders in Israel to eat bread and to fellowship with one another. So did Jethro come to faith? I think it's pretty clear. Jethro hears the truth about the Lord's goodness and grace. How he redeemed Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And upon hearing this, he delights and praises the Lord personally for these saving acts. And then he affirms the truth that it's not only for the nation, but it's also for him. The one and only true God. He now knows that the Lord is greater than all the gods, even the ones that he was used to proclaim. Now he proclaims the one true God. And he shows it by sacrificing 
uh, a burnt offering and then fellowshipping with the elders there. It's an incredible, an incredible testimony, an incredible story of a man who's crossed over from death to life. And the great news is, is that he's still doing that today. Many of us sitting in our chairs, we've, we've experienced that great joy. We've understood the gospel and how Jesus has saved and how we repented of our sins and we trust in his life, his death, his resurrection. And that's how we have been delivered. That is our Exodus story. And again, today we get to celebrate Jaron. He's going to confess to that same goodness and grace in his life. The Lord is still saving people today and making his name known throughout the ends of the earth. And we get to be a part of that. That's an incredible thought. Well, also, I want to see these principles to be a great example for us uh, that we can put into practice this Thanksgiving and Christmas with our own family members who don't know Jesus or our own friends that do not know Jesus, that we, just like Moses, have the opportunity to be a witness, to declare the goodness and the grace of God to those around us, in particular, our family members. Again, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you repent and trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have an Exodus story. You have a, a deliverance story. You have a salvation story. You have a, you want what we might call a grace story or a God story. Or another word as we use, you have a testimony. You have a testimony of how the Lord has impacted your heart and your soul. Remember Jesus in Mark chapter 5 when we went through the, the Gospel of Mark a number of years ago that there was a man who was possessed by a demon. And Jesus confronts him and proclaims his goodness. And uh, he delivered the man from demon possession. And the man was so excited. He was so overjoyed. He had this unusual joy. He says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And if you remember, Jesus says, no, you're not going to follow me. In fact, what you're going to do go is you're going to go back to your family. You're going to go back to your relatives. You're going to go back to those who do not know you, and you're going to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. You're going to tell them what I have done for you and how I have delivered you. And this is what we see. This is our calling. In particular, again, we're going to be around a lot of family members, a lot of friends right now during Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're going to have a captive audience and we're called to witness to them. Now why? Why is this you know, witnessing to our family should be one of the first places that we share our faith? Or maybe even one of the easiest places we should be able to share our faith mainly? Why? Well, because there's a personal relationship already there. Just like with Moses and his father-in-law Jethro, there was, a, there was a personal relationship already there with one of them. They knew each other. They knew their faults. They knew their strengths. They knew each other. And it's the same with us and our families. There's a personal relationship there. Now, obviously, we know there doesn't have to be a personal relationship to witness. There's, there's things called street evangelism that you can go out and do, or you can go out and do plain evangelism, right, where you're witnessing to a stranger. But the most effective way that we can be used by God in our witness is with those who don't know Jesus that we have a personal relationship with. Why is that? Again, because they know you. And you know them. You know where they are anti-gospel. You know where they, they don't believe and why they don't believe because you know their story. And so that gives you an advantage that when you share your story, your testimony, you can contextualize it to their needs. To where they, again, are anti-gospel. You can contextualize God's goodness in their needs. And when you're sharing them, you can make it personal to them. You can contextualize the story to show how the Lord has met you in those areas as well. And you can make the gospel personal to them that they can't avoid it. 
So you're already above the curve right there this holiday season because you have a relationship with your, your family members and your friends that do not know Jesus. But also we're called to proclaim all that the Lord has done in our lives through the gospel. We have seen several individuals who over the last couple years have first come to faith. They've come to faith. They've crossed over from death to life. There's a change that has happened, and they're going to go back to their family for the first time. This is the first time they're really going to have some interaction, some of you, with your family members now being a child of the king. And you're going to have this opportunity, and they're going to see you. They're going to, they're going to see how the way you talk, the way you carry yourself, and put two and two together over these last two years. They have seen the change in you. They're like, oh man, there, something really did happen to you. And that's going to give you an opportunity to share what happened to you, the goodness of, again, the grace of God or the gospel in your life. For others of you, you've been, you've been around your family members or friends for a while. And they know you're a Christian, but you haven't shared the testimony. They've been watching you for years live out the gospel and the implications of the gospel in your life. And it's a great opportunity maybe to, to retell your story. To retell your story, to be like, yeah, this... As they look at you and they, they hear you, go, yeah, this is not a fad. I thought this might be something that you might hold on to for a year or so. But now after five, six, ten years later, they see you're still following Jesus. It's a great opportunity again for you to retell your story. And so tell your story. Let me give you a simple yet powerful way to share your grace story, your testimony. Listen, every single one of us should have this ability. If someone asks us, like, what, 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 what has changed? Why do you believe in Jesus? You should have like an easy three to five minute you know, a little testimony. And so let me give you a simple yet powerful way to share your grace story. This is the outline. One, your life before Christ. What was your life before Christ? This is where you kind of highlight your sin and your rebellion. Two, what brought you to Christ? This is where you highlight the good news of Jesus. This is where you highlight the gospel, how his good news had broken to your heart and how you responded. And three, your life after receiving Christ. This is where you highlight God's goodness in your life afterwards. Not perfect. There's ups and downs, but still how the Lord sustains you. So this is the model. This is the easy structure for you to, to, to put your testimony on. Your life before Christ, what brought you to Christ, and your life after receiving Christ. Because what? Your, your testimony is powerful. It's yours. It, it, it shows people. It tells people how God's power has worked in you and you've crossed over from death to life. And maybe you'll just be around some family members that, that, that the majority of you are all Christians. And this is a great way, again, just to sharpen each other to celebrate on what God is doing. So continue to tell your, your story. And maybe your emphasis is going to be like how the Lord has been worked in your life afterwards. But rejoice in this. Again, so we have the opportunity to share and be a witness to those family members that do not know Jesus. Those friends of ours that do not know Jesus. Listen. The Word says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do to the glory of God. So when you have Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal or you have these holiday parties and your family and friends are there, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. The best thing you can do if they do not know Jesus is to show them and tell them about Jesus. That's what you can do. That's what I can do. And so let us be about that. Secondly, we see wisdom from our family. We see receiving wisdom from the family. Exodus 18, 13 through 27. It says the next day after retelling the story of God in his life and watching his father-in-law come to faith, seeing him walk and receive Christ, uh, the, the Lord, and we see this joy, Moses goes back to work in the daily routine. Look at verse 13. The next day Moses set out to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. 
Jethro is kind of observing all that's going on. He's seeing this, and, and this is what he comes up to. He, he says this in verse 18, what you're doing is not good. Now again, I don't think Jethro is coming down and being like, man, Moses, you're an idiot or you're stupid. Right? There's a respect, there's, there's respect from Jethro even to Moses. He's seeing what the Lord's done. So I think this is, this is Jethro coming in and with, with some wisdom and saying, hey, Moses, maybe there's a better way you can do this. There's a better way you can do this. This is not good. And, this, and he gives a couple reasons it's not good. One, he says in verse 18, you're wearing yourself out. And two, you're wearing out all the people. So there's got to be a better way because you're wearing yourself out. You can't do this on your own. You don't have the mental or physical capacity to counsel, to judge in all these situations. Remember, two to three million possible problems waiting for Moses. And two, you're wearing out the people. They're getting frustrated just waiting in line. I mean, we think that, you know, when we go to the DMV, we get frustrated, right? Can you imagine this? I mean, it could take years before you get your complaint to Moses. So they're frustrated. They're angry. It's not being dealt with quickly or efficiently. Again, we get the picture. Moses, again, is sitting down all alone. That's, that's twice it said that. You're all alone. That's not good. And again, you have all these problems all these problems. Mo Moses is trying to be all things to all people as a leader. He's trying to be the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch all in one, right? That's what Moses is trying to do. He's trying to deal with these issues like, hey, my, my neighbor stole my goat, right? To the point it's like, hey, I'm, a, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Can my daughter marry someone from the tribe of Judah? Is that, like, that, that okay, Moses? Or, or a guy's coming up, hey, how do I open up a business license? How do I get a business? I mean, he's doing, he's overseeing all this stuff. And Jethro says, the thing is too heavy for you. You can't do this on your own. You're not able to do this all alone. You need a team. You need a team of people. And here's the principle. One person, no matter how gifted, can run a country, right? One person, no matter how gifted, can run a church. One wise man said this, I'd rather find a hundred men to do the work than to do the work of a hundred men. This is what Jethro's saying. Moses, you're doing the work of a hundred men. What you need to do is you need to find a hundred men to help you do the work. You're overseeing millions of people, so break them out into thousands and, and hundreds and tens, etc. Therefore, let me give you some advice. This is the wise advice from Jethro to Moses that he's supposed to call able men. Now I want us to pause right there and ask the question before we get into it. Do you have a Jethro in your life? Who is the Jethro in your life? Who is the one, the one or two or three people in your life that can, is, you're in such close personal relationship with that as they observe your life, they say, hey, Aaron, that might not be the best thing that you're doing. Who is that for you? Who is that for you? I have a number of individuals in my life, all the way from my dad to, to men in this, in this room and outside, but the one who always has my ear is my wife, Rita. She's the one that always has, and I will listen to her above and beyond anyone else. We were out on a date night this past week, and uh, we always try to really you know, enter into one another. How are we doing? What's going on? What, you know, how's your walk, etc.? And she, she had to speak, give me some counsel. She had to speak some wisdom. She had to challenge me in an area. And the area was with my, my brother. As you guys know, in the last couple of years, I've shared this a little bit. Um, a couple summers ago, we can just say we had a personal hiccup. Let's just say that. 
he got involved with some bad people and did some bad stuff. And and um, right now he's uh, in prison and he's been in prison since the beginning of this year. And we had such a, again, a hiccup in our relationship that I haven't reached out to him, even though he's tried to reach out to me. I haven't I haven't responded. I haven't reached out. And Rita just gently in love and didn't say, man, you're an idiot. But she gave me some wife counsel. She said, hey, Aaron, what you're doing is not good. It's not good. You need to you need to reengage with your brother. So she counseled me. She spoke wisdom into me. And my response was, well, yeah, but no, that wasn't my response. My response was like Moses. And it's like, yeah, you're right. It was it was it was wise counsel. I think empowered by the Spirit to speak into my life where I needed to change. And the Lord humbled my heart to be like, yeah, you're right. So this week, you guys can keep me accountable to this. This week, I'm going to reach out and do the things I need to do to, to get in touch with my brother. He's in Arizona right now, again, in prison. And so who are, who, who are the Jethro's in your life? Who do you have on a, a daily or weekly basis or monthly basis that they can look in your life and, and give you counsel, can that you can receive wisdom from. Who are those people in your life? Jethro gives some great counsel to Moses. In verse 19, he says, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. And he again proceeds to tell Moses that you will continue to be the mediator, but you need to build a team. And he tells you the team, these, these teams must be a, a bunch of able men, verse 21. Able men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and do not take a bribe. In other words, they don't do this for the money. They do this because they have character, integrity, and they love the people of Israel. They will judge you the smaller matters and bring the bigger issues to us. And then we see the benefit in verse 23. If you do this, three things will happen. God will direct you. God will guide you. He will direct you. You'll be able to move in God's will. Two, you'll be able to endure. You're not going to have burnout. And three, your people will be happy. They will live in peace and they will live in unity. And again, we see in verse 24, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. There was no debate. Again, Moses saw his need. He said, you were right. He humbled himself and he followed that advice. Quickly, man, time flies now in these two services. Quickly, um, this is not necessarily a one-to-one correlation with the church where we at, but you are a part of a church that follows the advice of Jethro. This church is not by, run by one individual, but a bunch of able men. Again, we're not exactly in the same situation there, but the principles and the wisdom still apply to us. We see this wisdom that kind of point us to Acts chapter 6 when there weren't enough apostles, and so they had to, they had to bring in other able men to take care of the Greek widows so they could be a part, so the apostles and the, and the, and the disciples could be about prayer and the ministry of the Word. We see these, these characteristics in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. So let me just real quickly just give you a brief overview of how we do this at the crossing, what our leadership structure is and its benefits. Many of you have been around, you know this, but this again, this is not in-depth, but it's loosely how we apply Jethro's advice to serve you and to serve God's church. We are obviously a, a, an elder-led church. We're not, again, led by what's called a plurality of elders, of men who are qualified. It's set up in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Timothy. And our main job is to train the church, is train you guys up in the, 
in the preaching of the word and in prayer and discipleship and training, etc., so that you guys are strengthened. So as we walk out those doors, you and us, even as a trainer, as we walk out those doors, we do the work of the ministry. We go out and are ambassadors of Christ and proclaiming and witnessing to him and, and serving others out there. We do the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter four. And then we have deacons, kind of what we talked about here, what was happening in Moses, able men to take care of other smaller needs and issues and minister to those in the church so that we as elders can continue to be proclaim the, <coughs> the message of the gospel and training. And then, and, then, and then you have others that serve the other needs of the church. And then we have what's called life groups. And these are our smaller groups that meet out. And those that do that are, are, are men and couples who lead those groups, those smaller communities. I mean, Moses said this to, me, to minister to two to three million people. We got 250 to 300 people here. We, as four of your uh, pastors, can't do this alone. We need others to step up in their giftings to, to minister to smaller pockets. And then there's the other ministries that we do, but n- none of our ministries are done by one person or are led by one person. Every ministry has a team, multiple people. Why? Because there's many benefits to the structure. One, we believe this is God's plan. This is the way God has designed the church to run. But let me just give you some of the benefits. Some, let me highlight a few. One, ministry is more effective. Ministry is more effective when there's a plurality of, like we'll take pastors and men operating in their giftings. We got myself, we got Daniel, we got Rich, and we got Joey. We are all called and qualified in the, in, by the Scriptures, but we also have different giftings, different gift mix. We see there's one, first of all, you'll never hear us say that, that I'm the senior pastor here. Because there's only one chief shepherd. There's only one senior pastor, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw when we went through First Peter. We are all under shepherds of Him. So that's number one. Jesus is the chief shepherd. But then we also want to live out kind of the threefold ministry of the pastor, of the prophet, the priest, and the king. And between all of us as we lead, we all have different ministries giftings and strengths in these areas. Yes, there's overlap in all these, but if I bet if I was to send out a, a survey to all you guys and we said, hey, line up Aaron's gifting, Daniel's gifting, Rich's gifting, and Joey's gifting in these three areas. A prophet is, is one who usually leads or does the majority of the teaching. A priest is one who kind of gives counsel and, and praise, and the king is kind of gifted in administration. I bet you put our names all in different little areas and categories, and I bet you get them pretty 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 close to what we believe ours so one the ministry is just more effective because you have more people using their gifts to minister to the body second the the oversight it's more effective oversight again jesus is our chief shepherd and then we have oversight and the elders over the larger group of the church we have deacons that have oversight we have life group and smaller groups that they're over overseeing and, and and ministry just is better there's a, if you're in a life group, there, we as your elders know pretty, we have a good idea of how you guys are doing. Because we're in constant contact with the life group leaders. And they're in constant, obviously, contact with you. And, and, we're, and we're serving one another to understand what's going on. We're sharing the ministry. It's more effective. There's more accountability. There's more accountability. We've all probably been in churches where the pastor is the CEO, and he's isolated, and you can't get to him. We've seen at the bigger, larger churches, as this tends to happen, and pastors fall. There's more accountability. No one in here, no one in leadership at the Crossing Church at any level is in isolation. There's better decision-making that happens among 
a multitude of individuals. Proverbs 15 says, without counsel, plans fail, but whenever there's many advisors, they succeed. And finally, there's continuity. There's continuity. If, an, if, if, if I walk outside a door and have a heart attack or get hit by a truck, the crossing still moves on because it's not built around one man. It's built around a plurality of men and leaders in here. So plurality gives the church stability. It gives the church stability and it gives the church permanence. So this is why we structure our church the way we do. One, because we believe it's biblical, but it goes all the way back to advice that Jethro gave Moses. That to be an effective ministry, to be an effective church, to lead people, you need a plurality of leadership at every single level. And this is what we do. And this is how we apply it here. And as we do, we, 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 we see the same benefits that, that Moses said in verse 23. You guys know this to be true because you've experienced it. You've been at any point of the crossing here over the last 10 years. The reason why I believe the crossing has been, I guess, so successful to say in all the ministry is because, again, it's because of everyone in here uh, who's been gifted by God are walking in their calling. Right people in right spots. And when that happens, verse 23 says, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all the people will go in their place in peace. These are the two principles that we get to apply this week, this month, as we end this year. So let's be mindful. First, let's be mindful that we are first and foremost called to be witnesses, that you have been changed by the power of God, that you have been delivered. You have a story to tell about that to your friends and to your family around the Thanksgiving table and the Christmas table. And then also that we... We continue to see this model of, of leadership lived out in the crossing for many years to come so that we can be the most effective. That we share, that we all in here have a responsibility to lead, guide, and direct uh, this church. So let's do that in the power of His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these two principles. Lord, we see them lived out in our lives. And, and immediately again, You have given us an opportunity to go out and be witnesses for You about how You have redeemed us. The power of the Gospel. The power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to take a hard, dead heart and to make it come alive. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that hasn't done that yet, Lord, that their lives would be open just as Jethro's eyes were open. That, he would, that they would now confess that I now know the Lord and the Lord God, the Lord Yahweh, is greater than any other God. And for us that have done that, Lord, let us not be stagnant in our walk. Let us not take that, that truth for, for granted, but let it just continually, each and every day when we wake up, that we are called a child of the King. And let that joy overflow in our hearts and let us be ambassadors for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.